Welcome to the Fred Dojo Podcast, the place where pro guitar players share their secrets. Visit www.freddojo.com to access online courses and free resources to take your guitar playing to the next level. Hi, I'm Carl Orr, artist in residence at Fret Dojo. Uh, Greg is very busy at the moment doing uh, a new chord melody course, so I'm taking over the podcast for a while. I've got a fantastic guest for you today, a, a, a guitarist uh, of a very rare degree of experience, many decades in the music business, playing with some of the the top musicians in the in the rock and pop world, but has always uh, had a great fascination and a great dedication to jazz guitar. Um, anyway, lucky to meet him. This is uh, Mr. Les Davidson. Hi, Les. Hi, hey, Carl. Thank you very much for asking me to come on the, the, the podcast. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, Les and I have been friends for a long time. We uh, met through a, a mutual friend who recommended me to um, guide Les with his jazz guitar playing a bit. But actually, we had met uh, many years before that in very unusual circumstances. I, I was, uh, I'd been to Berklee College of Music in Boston and I got the plane to San Francisco and then I was flying from San Francisco to my home in Sydney, Australia, and uh, I happened to sit right in the middle, for some reason, of Joan Armour Trading's band. I was There was me and there was like, the whole row of this jumbo jet was basically the members of Joan Armour Trading's band, including her road crew. And Les was apparently one of the people in the band. We must have met briefly at that time. And then then uh, anyway, we figured out we'd been on the same flight, sitting in the same row 20 yeah. plus, 22 years beforehand. Anyway, so we got this kind of, deep connection in a way so uh, yeah, and we become we just automatically hit it off and became very good friends in a, a short space of time yeah so les has uh, really had an amazing career in the rock world he's now teaching a lot at is it called bim now b-i-m yeah it's called bim it's going to be um yeah. it's a bim institute it's going to be bim university uh i think this coming september if we all survive okay. If we all survive yeah, the C nineteen yeah. chord. That's I'm calling it the C nineteen <laughs> chord. chord. My least favourite chord. <laughs> exactly. <Okay. laughs> God. So Les, can you please uh, give us some background? Tell us how you started playing the guitar and and like the things that you've done as a musical career to start with. Yeah. Well, very briefly, I've got an older brother, Tom, uh, who was a singer in a band and played a little bit of acoustic guitar to be able to learn the songs that he was performing with the band. He never performed playing guitar as such, but there was a guitar in the house, and I wasn't allowed to touch it. Um, he's nine years older than me. and uh, But he, strangely enough, here's another weird coincidence. He went to Australia. He went to, to Perth, to Western Australia, um, on I think probably in those days the £10.06 ticket or something like that. Um, to work for a while, and at that time, I think I was about 10, maybe nine years old, I'm not quite sure, and so he left the guitar, 
uh, there was only three strings in it. I, you know, <laughs> so I started with three strings, and uh, I vaguely think that I probably had a paper round or something like that, and I, I managed to purchase one every Saturday for the next three weeks another string. <laughs> got six strings, and um, I didn't know how to tune it. And then I think when I was in the music shop, somebody said Bert Whedon's playing a day, um, oh. and I think I saved up for that. Bought that, and then I'm pretty sure in that book it tells you how to tune a guitar using the fret system. You know, get the, the low E and then use the fret system. So that was it, really. But I, I'd been singing from the age of six and playing a little bit of piano. Um, but although the piano was wonderful and I had a great piano teacher, it it wasn't pressing my buttons for you know at that particular point rock and roll. I I worked with that guitar, learned to tune it learned a few of the chords from playing a day and then met a couple of other people at school who were into it and then met some people outside school. And I really got serious. I started to really want to to learn to play the, the instrument. And I can't even remember where I got this connection, but uh, I was brought up in a farming community and not far from the farm there was a guy so where, where was this, Liz? This is in Edinburgh in Scotland. Edinburgh. Well, so this is outside of Edinburgh? Just on, it, it, it's not anymore, but in those days it was on the outskirts, yeah. What, yeah. Where, what's the name of the place? It was, it was just called Bridge End Farm. Oh. That's, that's, and that was where my dad and my grandfather uh, had a farm. And uh, so not far from there. Cause my, my, sorry, my wife's family are farmers from outside of Edinburgh, you know? Oh, right. They to Australia. <laughs> anyway. no, no, don't tell me. <laughs> the connection would be too <laughs> weird. Uh, yeah. yeah. You might but, be um, my cousin. <laughs> I'm probably your cousin, yeah. <laughs> my brother might even be your father for all we know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we digress. Um, back to reality. <laughs> So my uh, uh, somebody recommended a, a, a much older uh, retired BBC radio orchestra guitar player. I didn't know he was a radio orchestra guitar player at the time, a guy called Jimmy Elliott, who passed away in 1978. But I started going to him when I was about 11, maybe 12 years old, every Friday. And uh, he was a Django Reinhardt freak, uh, absolute killer player. And loved Joe Pass and Jim Hall and Tal Farlow and Johnny Smith, George Barnes and, you know, all those sort of people. Um, and he was amazing because what he did was I was starting to listen to Peter Green and Eric Clapton and, you know, Jimmy Page and, but you know, all those players and all the blues players. I'd, I'd been listening to blues music. I'd been listening to Muddy Water and Howling Wolf and Robert Johnson, all these people beforehand. So I went there just to learn how to play the guitar. And what he did was amazing. He turned me on. He opened my mind to other styles of music. So he would give me a Jim Hall album or a Joe Pass album or a Stravinsky album. I remember him giving me the right. He said, do you like classical music? I said, no, I, no not really. And so he gave me a Stravinsky <laughs> album. He said, take it home, have a listen to it, and bring it back next week. Tell me what you think. So mm. I what did. What did you think? I thought it was amazing. I'd never heard classical music like that before. Mm, so I still it, it blew my to mind. It, actually. Yeah. Oh, mm. it was incredible. So yeah. 
He was very clever. He didn't tell me to do anything. He just suggested. Um, and so I got a love for jazz guitar because right in front of me was this man who's 60-odd at the time, if I remember correctly, playing this incredible music right in front of me, you know, playing. He would, I think I've told you that uh, he tried to teach me Girl from Ipanema and I could never get the bridge, you know. I was always fumbling about, couldn't remember the chords. And um, he would play it, and it just sounded wonderful. So it, it instilled in me this real love of jazz guitar and jazz music. And it's an easy connection if you think of it, because the blues, the next step is jazz, you know. So, um, and then a little bit later, I got got into a, a semi-professional band, which eventually became a professional band. And there was horn players in that band, a three-piece horn section. So they were bringing. Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, Ornette Coleman, you know, a million other players. Um, and Lester Young, and you know. So I was listening to that as well. Um, and it, it was a fantastic musical education. Um, but all along, I've talked to you about this, Carl, all along um, I was still very interested in playing rock and roll and rock music. So I was spending half of my time trying to nick Hendrix and Clapton licks and the other half of my time trying to figure out altered dominance, you know, and diminished chords yeah. <laughs> and going, I don't want, I don't know where I'm going to use these because I don't really hear them that much in the rock music, but you know, so in fact, years later, it was very useful because years later when I got into doing some sessions, occasionally I would see an altered dominant and I would know what it was supposed to be because I'd, I didn't know how to solo over it, but I could play the chord. Um, and so that, you know, Jimmy was so powerful in his, his education. And then if another guy who's only about 10 years older than me, a guy called Lachlan McCall, who's still around in Edinburgh, great sort of Jim Hall-style player, who, who, who wonderfully says he's never played a minor pentatonic in his life, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> and he taught me a lot of stuff as well. So that's how I sort of got kicked off, you know. That's great. Very interesting. So, um, yeah, so you, you talked about the common, the commonality between blues, rock, and jazz, right? That, yeah. That's a sort of a common thing, isn't it? And uh, I think a lot of the more the jazz guitarists who've been become very popular have a very pronounced blues feel. Not not all of them, but like for example, Jim Hall, not Jim Hall, uh, Kenny Burrell, Kenny Burrell, yeah, Kenny Burrell, Grant Green, um, George Benson, Wes Montgomery, John Schofield, um, Mike Stern. So it goes all the way from sort of Kenny Burrell back in the 50s with that sort of beautiful clear sound playing with a strong blues flavour up to sort of Mike Stern with kind of very modernistic sort of rock blues approach, you know. But there's this yeah. co commonality between rock and jazz, which is this blues connection. So that's the thing that's in common but what what are the differences between playing rock and playing jazz? Like especially, well, talk about 
various aspects if you like but particularly in terms of soloing because soloing in rock guitar is a a massive part of being a rock guitarist but it's a very different approach to soloing in jazz isn't it yeah um and in fact that was one of the reasons that at a certain point in my life when i was uh doing you know fairly well as a rock player getting work touring the world, et cetera, and working on people's records. Um, I found that my ability to be able to solo through changes mm. was not as strong as my ability to be able to sit on a vamp of maybe two chords using minor pentatonics or major pentatonics and, and be able to still make up lines like jazz players do but and connect the lines and, and have, you know, tension and release and questions and answers. But they were quite limited, you know. Penta yeah. means five, five notes, you know. So with these, <laughs> with these five notes, you're bloody you are, good with the five notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you make a, you make a lot of noise with five notes, you know. And I think the main difference to me is a lot of rock players really focus on their vibretto, their tone, the sound. Right. Whereas. When I listen to, for instance, some of the early Jim Hall records, mm. or even some of the early Grant Green, Green and Kenny Burrell records, that sound is and Wes, the sound is quite clean. Yeah. And because of the, a lot of the time they use half wounds or wound strings. Yeah. They wouldn't necessarily be bending notes that much. They wouldn't be no. vibrating in the same way. Yeah. Like BB King would, though. BB King oh, would, and Albert right. King, and okay. you know. Yeah. But it was a very different thing. So yeah. I think. The two main components are the sound and then the ability to be able to play through changes. So before you go any further, Les, mm. you're talking about rock playing rock as a kind of amorphous thing. I think it would be good for people to know who you played with because you played with some some of the finest people in rock and pop music. Would you mind giving us a, a list of people that you uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a list of a few of them. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I played with Joan Arma Trading, who's been mentioned. I did two world tours with her. Wow. I also played with some interesting people like Maury Canty, the African artist mm. who was very big in the sort of 80s. Played with Leo Sayre when he was a massive star in, in, in the sort of late 70s. Labby Sifri, who's a sort oh. of crossover between pop songwriting and blues and jazz. Tina Turner. Pete what? Townsend, Paul <laughs> Rogers, um, yeah, loads of different people, you know. Um, Mick Taylor. So, Mick Taylor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Played with Mick as well. <laughs> so, so you're kind of an executive rock guitarist. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I was, yeah, my, I, my, my sleeves were rolled up and I was definitely, yeah. you know, in the middle of it, in the thick of it, yeah. So, yeah, you were saying about the I, – I think this – I mean, for myself, I remember as a young guy, I knew a lot of rock guitarists because, you know, that's what most people were. And and they would often say, oh, a lot of you jazz guys, you don't really have your sound together. Mm. You know, you don't have your tone together. And I always thought, yeah, that well, if everybody's saying that, there must be some – truth in it so i've really tried to 
work on getting a good tone. Oh, and yeah, you because do. As that's you say, one of the things rock... I love about your playing is, is you've got a great tone, you've got a great sound, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. But so that, but in rock, I remember like a guy saying to me, like in rock music, you don't have all the clever chords and the fancy notes. You play simple chords, you play fifths. So your guitar has to be perfectly in tune. Yeah. Like if you play a, a C major seven, sharp 11, sharp nine, if your guitar is very, very slightly out of tune, you don't even really notice it. But if no. you play a, a G5, which is just G and D, you really notice it if it's out of tune. So the whole thing of making sure your guitar's really in tune and concentrating on getting a good tone and, and also what about projection? I always feel like projection is a massive part of playing rock guitar. And I've tried to bring that into my jazz playing a lot, you know. Yeah, I think um, I think people, for instance, you know, I was very much into John McLaughlin when he, he came along with Miles. Uh, yeah. I think it was on In a Silent Way. I think it was the yeah. first time he played with him. And then, of course, he was on Live Evil as well. And of course, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, and that was a big projection thing, mixing his jazz ability. And well, I didn't even know, for instance, at the time that, that McLaughlin was a good straight bebop player. I didn't know at the time mm. that McLaughlin had been a big session player, yeah. but I just heard in London, you know, which he had. But I, I, I heard this mixture. Of, he, he was one of the first that seemed to be able to grab that rock sensibility. You're talking about that projection. And but play a different bunch of notes, you know, hmm. that melodic minor and harmonic minor and Indian type scales and all you know all sorts of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think you know if you look at Hendrix, the, the whole thing about Hendrix, for instance, apart from being an amazing rhythm guitar player and a great songwriter and a, a sort of musical visionary, it was all about performance and projection and trying to get that stuff across. It was a it was a bigger it wasn't so much in the head, it was more in the body as well as the head. That was part of the, the rock music thing. Um, whereas I think, you know, if you, I mean, maybe in, in the 20s and 30s when you went to a jazz club, people were up dancing and shouting and jumping around. But yeah. mostly my, my experience of going to jazz situations is mostly people sit and listen. So it's more in their head, even though they might be projecting. Or, you know, like Schofield projects. You know, he plays more like a rock player, and Mike Stern certainly does. He, I remember asking him once actually, um, I got a chance to speak to him, and he, he came to the school to do a master class. And I said, "What you know? What do you listen to and work on?" He says, "Charlie Parker and Hendrix." <laughs> <laughs> and actually, if you listen to his playing, you go, that's okay, about I sort it, of hear it. it. Yeah, it's about right. You know? <laughs> so I think there's been a crossover, obviously, from maybe the early 70s, um, where the modern jazz guitar player has taken on the projection rock thing and the sound. And I must say that some rock guitar players have crossed over the other way and taken on the ability to be able to play through changes and understand about harmony and theory. And, and yeah, some of them do it extremely well. Yeah, like um, yeah. Greg Greg Howe. Yeah, Greg Howe is fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm. And and Robin Ford's another one. You know, Robin Ford has been doing it for years. You know, playing mm. with the Yellow Jackets. There's some serious yeah. changes going on, and and he made and with Miles, of course, and he made perfect sense of them. But he's and, an authentic and, 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 and blues guitarist as well, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could. I think it's down to hearing because um, one down thing to that what? Hearing, to hearing, being able to hear the changes, to hear the changes as opposed to see the changes. You know. Can be a minor two five one can be written down, but can you really hear the connection between the chords? Okay. And and for me, that was the my biggest change was uh, being able to actually hear the sound of that movement. Okay. And that's the big thing that changed for me was, uh, and that and that came about from actually coming to you and you opening the door, lots of doors that you opened, and then also going and doing jazz jams and getting up there and going, you know, I'm really not very good at this, but being invited back, people say, well, you play great. So, okay. So maybe you don't hear the changes, but you will. Yeah. And these little things were really important to me because it meant, okay, well, they think I've got something to offer. So I'll go away and work in it because I think, you know, for me, the biggest problem for most rock guitar players is it's a big step to go from playing five note pentatonics to playing round autumn leaves to make sense yeah. of it it's a massive step i always think of people as having a kind of a voice or even a kind of accent you know i've got an irish friend and every time he picks up the guitar he sort of i say to him you're playing the guitar with an irish accent you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is yeah. actually he does, and it's a, it's a beautiful accent, you know. Yeah. And um, but I think you you kind of your natural sort of accent or natural voice as a guitarist is this uh, rock blues kind of rock thing. So yeah. you yeah, you yeah. play jazz almost from that viewpoint, and then then the the natural sort of rock phrasing comes out, but it's not yeah. an tasteless kind of inappropriate way where it kind of it's sort of like graffitis all over the jazz it's like you, you've just got like compared to somebody like myself you've got maybe a more pronounced blues feeling in what you do so while what you're doing is jazz guitar your your roots are so strongly in in rock that, absolutely that, that comes out but in a way that's idiomatically uh, appropriate jazz-wise. I, I agree because I think an interesting thing, we talked about this, um, which was uh, when I came to you after talking to Pat, our, our mutual friend Pat, um, was that I'd made a decision at that point that I would I, I really wanted to... I'd, I'd found a way to stop telling myself that I wasn't... It, um, musically intelligent enough to try and learn to play through changes. Oh. Uh, and that took me many years because I would see great guitar players, luckily by traveling the world, you know, I would see these amazing players. And um, and I would say, I'll never be able to do that. So I didn't, you know, that that was the easiest route. I don't think I can do it, so don't bother. Whereas, in fact, I was wrong. I was completely wrong. And by eventually persuasion 
or suggestion and encouragement from people like yourself, uh, Paul Stacey, who's a mutual friend of ours, who's mm. very, you know, Jim Mullen, another London-based guitar player, another Scottish mm. great player, just people saying, and a couple of sax players, Ian Ritchie, and Pat as well, in actual fact, yeah. um, saying, uh, yeah, you can. And because you have, as you pointed out, this sort of bluesy sound, um, stick with that, use that as your main voice, and mm. just learn how to play through the chord sequences. So the way I did that mm. was by getting a few people like yourself to, to open doors and show me things that, you know, I was confused. Mm. I didn't, what, what are these Mixolydian, Dorian, Phrygian, you know, Lydian yeah. dominant, what's all this Greek? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, what's that got to do with the blues and jazz? You know, how's a Greek person involved in this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and obviously when you go to people like yourself who, who are experts, and I've been doing it a long, long time, uh, you start to realize that it's sort of like playing the blues in the sense it's just like floating over the chord sequences. Once you know that the chord sequences are more than three chords or four chords, there's a few more, but there's they're connected and this is a major sound. I mean, one thing I learned a long time ago is there's major, minor, and dominant, and that's it. That's it. So once you simplify it like that, then... It, it basically becomes more doable. And I think that's the thing that changed in me was I realized that for my, my inner self, I needed to attempt to do it. And so I started to attempt to do it and uh, it was hard and it still is hard. And, and, you know, unfortunately I've opened a can of worms <laughs> that's going to be ongoing forever. But as he, every year goes by, I feel I've got, a little bit more of an understanding of what playing through standards is about and what playing through modal type of music is about and what through playing through sort of more modern, you know, post-bop. Pat Martino is a big influence on me. Uh, Joyous Lake, when I heard that, first of all, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Because mm. I love that fast type of technique, well, not type of technique, the fast, hard bop technique he has. Mm. Um, and uh, bless him, he's not been very well, I believe. So, but also the sound of that record was much more rocky and sort of punchy. Yeah, and, with the electric piano, electric bass. Yeah, right? yeah. Gil Goldstein and, and Gil Gold. Will Lee on bass, Kenwood yeah. Dennard on drums. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, I, I, so arpeggios, lots of arpeggio work. You know. Thirds and sevens, you know, the strong chord tones, you know, all that stuff. Uh, just working, 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 keeping it simple. Um, I've done a lot of work and I'm doing a lot of work at the moment on melodic minor. I'm just spending a lot of time working on melodic minor and all the arpeggios of the chords. That was the, that was the thing. Most rock guitar players, no, that's unfair to say most rock guitar players. Sorry, I retract that. You can edit that. <laughs> Some rock guitar players... Um, cannot play you the seven chords of a major scale in seventh chords. They can't do it. They don't know how to play that. So if you don't recognize that these chords are connected from one parent scale, how are you ever going to look at a chord sequence and go, oh, that's C major? How would you do it? You wouldn't. Maybe your rear would help you. But essentially, it would be very, very demanding. 
to be able to make that connection. And then, you know, the relative minor. I mean, autumn leaves is an example, you know. Some people will say it's in G minor. Some people will say it's in B flat. So B flat is the parent major scale and G minor is the relative minor scale. So it's stuff like that, uh, but it takes work. And and I think if you've got to have to have a love for the music, whether it's on your, on your instrument or not, yeah. And you've got to listen to a lot of it, and then you've got to try and play a lot of it. And you've got to experiment. You've got to get up there in the stand and say, I think that idea I've been working on might work and, and you know, mess it up and go, oops, that's not working or, oh, that worked really well. Um, and then, in, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it. That's the thing. Enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't have much time, but I, no. I uh, like I grew up in Australia in, in the, you know, in the 70s when I started get, mm. really getting interested in the guitar and everybody who picked up a guitar, seemingly of my age, had a rock sound and a rock mm. feel, because that's what they heard. Yeah, right. That was just yeah. like the feel, and I, I do feel that I do think that jazz, whatever else it is, it's a feel. It's like a feeling and a sort of a particular kind of way of grooving in the music, and I think. You, as you said, if you, it's only by listening to a lot of it that you just pick up on the feel. And one one of the things that I've noticed about you is that you have a good jazz feel, like a natural, like it, because you know, like like let's say people would talk about somebody like Muddy Waters. Oh, what a great feel! Yeah, oh, you know, mm. and it is, you know, or James yeah. Brown or. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, uh, some more uh, you know BB King, but actually, Pat Martino has a great feel as well. It's a particular feeling, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's a different feeling. Daring yeah. sort of daredevil oh. chromaticism, you know, yeah, yeah. and that's but that's as much of a feel as BB King or Muddy mm. Waters. Absolutely. You know? And I think that's what you've got. You've got a, a you whatever your knowledge or lack of it was, you always had that feel. You always always were able to, like even from the very first time I heard you try to play jazz, you had this kind of Pat Martino-ish kind of snaky chromaticism, which was a kind of a feel, every much as playing some kind of blues lick with bending, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, it was, as you say, it's because I suppose I've been listening to it for a long, long time, mm. uh, listening to to basic blues music from the age of about eleven or twelve, mm. and then and then jazz not long afterwards. And you know, I, I'm always very grateful to the fact, as I said, that that first serious band I was in had three horn players who were all yeah. bringing into my world lots and lots of jazz music on a different instrument, not the guitar. You know, yeah, that's great. And, yeah, yeah, mm. and hearing the way that drummers would approach. You know, uh, a boogaloo, and you know, or a sort of swing, and what a blues swing was, and what a jazz swing was, and, and understanding that it's a different feel. Yeah, and they're both in, as relevant as each other. You know. Yeah. I got to a, a point as well, which is the thing I found about trying to play through standards like Stella, or you know, all the things you are, or something like, that, especially Stella, is just trying to, you know, 
um, the challenge of trying to make good music yeah. is hard. I had a great statement. I went to one guy, um, a great teacher, um, Dave Cliff. I don't know if you know Dave Cliff. Yeah, I love Dave. Jewelry, yeah. funny guy but, too. Yeah, it was great. He was, this is what he said to me. I went for some lessons and he, he, we played through, <clears throat> I think it was Stella. And he said, um, he said, yeah, your brain surgery is really good, but you're stitching shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, excuse me. And I thought that was a, a wonderful <laughs> statement. <laughs> what he was trying to say <laughs> was that he's, it was basically saying, you know, stitch your cords together. Worry, worry about the brain surgery later. And he was right. Uh, it was one of the best things that he, the best piece of advice I'd ever had about playing through changes. Yeah, you know, um, awesome. Okay, well, that's been really fascinating, Les. As as I knew it would. Wonderful to hear your story and your unique perspective and your and your great passion for music and the guitar and your, your broad-mindedness, and it's really inspiring. Um, so before uh, we finish up, is there anything that you would like to uh, let people know about, any project or projects that you're working on at the moment? Uh, yes, there is, Carl. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm still in a band with the dodgy name of Sniffing the Tears, <laughs> um, mm. who had a hit with a thing called Driver's Seat in the late mm. 70s. Um, and we've just made an acoustic duo album. And although it's not jazz, the reason I think it's important is the the sensibilities and the musicality that has been brought to me through playing jazz and, and working on playing jazz, um, I've been able to bring to bear upon very simple rock songs. And it's allowed me to be a lot more musically creative, which I think uh, I've perhaps wouldn't have had the ability to do if I hadn't been involved in that that part of music. Mm. So uh, if people are interested, it's called Jump. It's uh, Sniffing the Tears. It's it's out on our website, Sniffing the Tears website, and I think it's on Apple and Amazon. Um, yeah, it's worth a listen. We're gonna, we were going to do some gigs, but obviously with the dreaded C19 chord, we, uh, we can't, can't mm. do them. Maybe next year. Uh, as a, as an acoustic duo, uh, uh, which has been fun, so yeah, that would be great for people to listen to. That's a that's a something that's we finished only about four or five months ago, something like that, which was fun to do. So mm, excellent. Well, that, that's really great. I'll definitely have a listen to that, and I recommend everybody else does. So thanks a lot, Les Davidson. Thank you, Carl Orr. Thank you very yeah. much. It's and, great uh, to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Talk. Look forward to yeah. catching up in person. Yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah. owe you a pizza still, actually. <laughs> Remember, before all this happened, I said, I'll, I'll buy you a pizza. But, uh, you know, it's a good Scottish way of getting out of it by bringing a virus upon the world so I don't have to pay for a pizza. <laughs> It'd save you money. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, th thanks a lot, Les. See you soon. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And... Uh, See you next next time. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah. Thank thank you, Carl. Bye. Thanks for listening. For lessons, resources, and free stuff to take your guitar playing to the next level, visit www.fretdojo.com.